and suspense, the heart-pounding warmth of the best-selling novel that gripped millions. Superb, unforgettable performances by an extraordinary array of talent. Figured I was gone, huh? Run, hide me, staircase. Run quick. Ruby, shit. What do you want? I want them kids. I'm giving you to the count of three to get out of here, then I'm coming across the kitchen shooting you. The combined powers of Paul Gregory and Charles Lawton brought the King Mutiny Court Martial to Broadway. Now the screen receives that same creative, electrifying impact. The Night of the Hunter. Yeah, that wasn't a bad trailer, I don't think. Yeah, yeah, they didn't have that little girl screaming all of her lines at the top of her lungs, so, you know. And they didn't My go, name is Paul! Hey. <laughs> and they also didn't go, uh, the hunter, he's wanted by a thousand women and, you know, chased <laughs> down by a thousand men. <laughs> exactly. They didn't have that. <laughs> Actually, that, that trailer might work better for this movie than it did for the third man. The yes. hunter, he's wanted by every woman and and feared by one man, or you know, vice versa. <laughs> I mean, how, how would you really <laughs> exactly? How, how would you really articulate the creeping dread of uh, you know, almost child's fable like that this movie entails? You got to have dramatic music to catch the attention, right? So, yeah, it's a, what are you gonna do? It's good. It's a yeah, good you, have the, you have the music, and you have the um, you introduce the characters. I guess the same way that they kind of would at the beginning of some kind of. Brothers Grimm fairy tale or something, and sure. I don't know. Interestingly, the soundtrack instead of doing it as a um, instead of doing it like song by song, they actually did it as like eighteen minute long tracks where they kind of introduce the characters. And it's almost like hearing Peter and the Wolf, pretty much. Um, you know, yeah, they have themes things. for the different uh, characters. Yeah, yeah, but they introduced it a lot of the same way that they kind of you know that old Peter and the Wolf recording where yeah. they're like, yeah, they do it kind of like that, which they kind of found fascinating. Um, anyway, I should say that this is Movie Night Extravaganza, episode yes, 86. Uh, moving along these episodes, you know, pretty fast. I think we're going to hit 90 before the end of uh, this noir season. But, um, you know, I'm Forrest Miller, um, always Flacco, you know, hanging out here. Uh, Flacco getting, it up. I was going to say not getting hunted down, hopefully, by, a, you know, a, a murderous, uh, <laughs> you know. Murderous. It's young. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, I might I know. some... Uh, itinerant preachers they might come from my head um yeah. <laughs> but uh you know joined uh as always by j andrew world washed in the blood how's it going pretty good pretty good uh, good blood cleansing really gets into your pores nice and deep uh just wonders for the hair by the way get that, get that kim k treatment <laughs> i'm kind of disappointed that no one made their uh handle on here like right hand left hand 
but uh, maybe that's you know maybe that's too on the nose. Uh, I like to go for the more subtle approach and/or something funny that somebody says. So yeah, all right. Well, Conan Neutron, you know, host of Britannic Reversal, uh, Conan Neutron and the Secret Friends. This show, he has a he has a music festival coming up very soon. Caterwall. Caterwall. Did, yeah, I, did uh, I get all of your all of your things? Probably not, but that's uh, that's that seems like a lot, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, one we're almost. If you don't subscribe to Protonic Reversal, do it soon. It's almost a uh, one thousand. Uh, I think you get a prize when you hit a thousand. Oh yeah, we forgot to mention the petition. That's still a thing. I think it's still working that bit, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. Have me replace uh, James Corden or you know Craig Ferguson. Uh, so go. Sorry, no. Hit, hit James Corden with a hit James Corden the car. One of the yeah, other. car car crash karaoke. He <laughs> got fired. <laughs> uh and uh, yeah uh, so this is i'm glad we're doing this this is a this is in it's not the top 20 top 50 movies for me i i really like this movie a lot so i'm glad we're covering it i'm glad we're in this order because we we each had a movie that we picked uh you know for for this um and then it was an existential struggle i'd say um to pick you know one of two movies for each of us and then we're in yes. the order of the movies and this is your movie that you picked um absolutely i'm happy to be doing it what was the other one i can't remember which uh that w- that was for me. Uh, yeah. Probably Chinatown, which we ended up, de- <laughs> which ended up yeah. kind of getting so my get way anyway. <laughs> Out of your contract <laughs> negotiations. Um, That's right. Yeah, because because mine was uh, Touch of Evil or Third Man. We did that, and uh, you know, Andy's was either Stray Dog or um, yeah. I, why am I, oh, Tokyo Drifter, and we're gonna do Tokyo Drifter on Tuesday. So. We, I, I didn't, we didn't plan it out that all three of our episodes are back to back, the ones that we picked, but it is kind of interesting that it, that it, it just kind of worked way. out that way. Yeah. No, it's, yeah. I mean, I'm, I, I'm mad at it, you know, like I think it's a, it actually works really nicely with everything together. Tonight's um, New York Times critic choice uh, pick <laughs> is <laughs> Night of the Hunter. Um, but I should also call into the conversation our beautiful, wonderful guests. Of course, Ron Purdy, uh, host of Uncle Ron's Drive In. And uh, you know, you can find them on all the things: uh, Twitch, yep. YouTube, Facebook, <laughs> posting memes. Every, you know, everywhere that you'd really find somebody. <laughs> this is yes. some intro. Uh, yeah, he's real busy. <laughs> everywhere I, I'm Uncle Ron. <laughs> he's real busy. Oh. Yeah, I am. I am real busy. I have a comic book out now. I have a book book oh, out. I have know. a story coming out in a magazine. I have a signing coming up for the comic book. So I'm a, I'm a little busy. I also am binging Doctor Who. So that's a, a, a full-time job in and of itself. And he's murdered so many widows. He can't remember if it's uh, six or 12. It might even be 13. Yeah. <laughs> you lose track at a certain point. Yeah. Frankly. How many has it been, Lord? Um, yeah, <laughs> we have... Uh, Christina Oaks. I'm Christina on Twitch. She just did a panel. Yeah, that was fun. Yep, an abortion panel where they decided the full panel decided to give someone an abortion. It was uh, it was kind of crazy. I heard that you know they all got banned on Twitch after that. <laughs> Are we talking like an Oprah type thing? Where and you get one, and you get one. <laughs> you get an abortion. You get an They've abortion. All yeah. Abortion could be a good thing, especially in regards to certain people like Adolf Hitler. But I digress. I would I would go back in time and uh, abort baby Hitler. The problem with that, though, the problem with that, though, is if you do that, who's to say somebody worse won't show up? I mean, we got we got Ron DeSantis, so we're getting there. Low bar, yeah. Vladimir Putin, Vladimir Putin showed up instead of Hitler, <laughs> worse than Hitler or equal. We have not decided. Donald Trump is now the oh. dictator of 
Germany, and uh, we have to defeat him. Today, we we learn about uh, women in history like Cleopatra and Catherine the Great, fucking badasses, especially Catherine the Great, like the greatest leader Russia ever had. Yeah, Catherine the Great is impressive. She sure. was hashtag I mean, girl she, boss. Yeah, but she, <laughs> they tried to she tried to smear her by saying that, you know, she fucked yeah, the, horse, the horse. And there's no, there is no evidence that that happens. That's yeah. how they try to take yeah, down hashtag girl boss. Yeah. <laughs> and Catherine the Great's a much better name than Catherine the eh. Yeah. yeah. So eh. <laughs> Catherine the sister. Okay. Your sister, Catherine the eh. Yeah. Anyway, enough enough material. That, that was certainly a bit, wasn't it? Yeah. All right. That was a good bit. A bit yeah. of what I don't know. Mm. <laughs> a bit of fun on a Friday. Um we're it wasn't half bad. It was, of, it was all bad. Uh you know, Robert Mitchum uh kind of gives one of the all-time great performances in this also in uh, out of the past, he's like the the protagonist in that movie, and uh, Kirk Douglas is the villain, which is a weird thing to hear because I feel like Robert Mitchum has kind of made his bones as like a, a very creepy looking, um, yes. almost like leading man character actor, which is weird, right? Like yeah. you expect yeah. with that face that he would be a hey, character cool. actor, but he kind of uh, you know he kind of uh, appeared, I think, in this noir uh, time period where you could kind of you uh, could be an interesting looking. Um, leading man i mean mitchum has so much charisma like, like he's just gonna show up and it's like okay you're the lead yeah you're the bad guy obviously you're you're the guy who you know like whatever like when i first watched this movie i was like this reminds me of cape fear <laughs> but then i'm like this is pre-cape fear no this movie really reminds me of cape fear yeah. man, robert de niro <laughs> like like, like and no, and Scorsese uh, doing the tattoos in the in the his remake of Cape Fear is doing a, an homage to this movie, which is kind of interesting, yeah. right? Like the great Robert Mitchum performances. Um, but, but absolutely, yeah. and, and what it, like as you mentioned, like I mean, I, I would solidly put Robert Mitchum's performances as one of the greatest films uh, of cinema. Frankly. Like, yeah, I mean, it, I, it's just it's he's fantastic. Like I know people that like have their quibbles and dislike about the movie or whatever but like it's pretty hard to argue with the fact that his performance i have amazing. problems with the with some of the way the script was written but like he does not deserve that reputation and i feel like this movie did along you know kind of uh pushed along the the the, the long-standing rumor that you know they're these evil uh bait stealing and human attack creatures not true and i take issue with it canceled movie canceled stream canceled <laughs> <laughs> That's just you playing up to all your marine biologist buddies you found from that tweet earlier this week. You're yeah, trying to keep, keep them going. Keep, I'm keep trying to keep them. I'm trying to trying to keep, to keep them hooked. Ah, ah, <laughs> get it. Yeah, they my took bio the bait. Goes. My bio oh, ah. need to be, uh, you know, satiated by the stream. So I am here to stand up for the alligator guard. <laughs> the stream. The stream. Right. Also, I will say the my my name, my title name, is an homage to the great Lillian Gish, who is considered the first lady of American cinema. Who is a complete and utter badass in this as well. Yes, she has those beautiful uh, silent film eyes, and yes, it's really interesting that so many um, silent film actresses like uh, kind of did a really like had those kinds of same kind of eyes almost like right like their eyes have to pop because obviously they're not making sounds and it, it. Plastic surgeons were making a ton of cash back then. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, you know, to to quote the great Christopher Walken from Saturday Night Live, "Eyes are the windows of the face." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the uh, the the Emperor in Dune now. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I do hope he imports that line. So you know, I still haven't <laughs> seen the first Dune. 
<laughs> the spice extends life. Uh, <laughs> you go with that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I, I think that uh, Robert Mitchum's performance in this, allegedly what we were talking about, um, absolutely crushes it. Um, I would call it kind of almost like a, the archetype, like a big bad wolf archetype, right? Like, um, I feel like there's a whole bunch of different, like evil personified, right? Like there's this whole... Um, uh, you know, subset of villains in a lot of older movies and still that kind of, there's no, you don't feel like a motive for their um, evil as much as just that they are evil, right? Like he believes God's speaking to him and God is sending him out kind of an old Testament God, which is kind of fascinating. I think that, uh, you know, Lillian Gish's, uh, you know, God seems to be like the new Testament Christian God. And his seems to be like the vengeance loving, um, you know, strike them dead for anything that happens. Like the, the cure for sin is just to kill somebody and you assume that, you know, they've already sinned and he, the human race needs to be extinguished. That seems to be the God that he's uh, praying to. It's like Moon Knight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so wait, 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 wait. So, <laughs> so Robert Mitchum's running around praying to Conchu. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's okay, a little no fact about this. Uh, I, I read it on IMDb. <laughs> well, I mean, then it's gotta be real. <laughs> gotta be. Sure. What faith do you profess preacher? Well, I you know Moon Knight. I this the <laughs> I read a comic. Uh, I read a comic, and I'm just into it now. The, the thing okay, is, so is though he's oh um go ahead. I was just gonna say to get us back on track. It's absolutely oh. Robert Mitchum's character is Old Testament for sure. Old Testament. Oh, 100 percent. But I mean, can I you really can you really call him a villain? Because he probably a good villain, and that's what he is. But I mean, the a really great villain believes they're the hero of the story. Yes. And he that's exactly what he does. Yeah. You know, he thinks he's the hero of the story. He thinks, well, he thinks like, he's literally uh, speaking to God and God is out there telling him like, right. that you should steal money from people, which is essentially well, what it comes kill down with to. Kill yeah. and take their money. <laughs> but it's it, it's for it's for what is seen as the greater good, which is always the thing of, yeah, the, hero, the villain being the hero of their own story. You know, Hannibal Lecter, uh, you know, Darth Vader, like all, all of the great villains. Wanda like, Maximoff did yeah, nothing wrong. Recency bias, but yes. Uh, it's I funny. Mean, like, it's funny you mention mentioned Darth Vader because when he would make his appearance and you'd hear like the bomb, bomb, it really felt like Lucas had seen this movie a couple of yeah, times before he absolutely. created Darth Vader. Yeah. Also, also at one point when they're in the um, they're in the raft and the there's a bird chirping and it makes the exact same R two D two sound. I really like. I just was watching the movie again and realized that there's a bird chirping. goes and like my mom was like in the other room too, and she's like, "Is that is that Star Wars? Is that the sound from Star Wars? Like, is this a Star War? <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't look like Wilhelm's, a Star War. How many Wilhelm screams was in this movie? No, <laughs> I was watching it. And my brother thought I was watching Doctor Who because it was black and white. He just assumed. And because you watch a lot of Doctor Who, so you like a ridiculous a amount. He was like, yeah. "Are you watching Cape Fear?" <laughs> <laughs> Doctor, Doctor Who never looked as good as this movie, though. This movie, the, the visuals are pretty awesome. Like, are amazing. Like, like, yeah, just just like to another level. Um, uh, it's it's actually kind of a nice lead into to my movie for Noir Month. So, uh, you know, uh, with, with just gorgeous visuals, uh, this certainly, um, uh, you know, the, the use of black and white. Uh, when people turn off lights and you know creating silhouettes and the silhouettes add to the story like like, like they're, they're they're thinking about this like a comic artist um i, I right. uh you know the cinematographer obviously worked probably with a really good storyboard artist uh, i would imagine because because like they they turned that into a part of storytelling which is masterful a lot of it was well, actually uh the cinematographer stanley cortez is his name he's the same cinematographer that did um 
uh, the Magnificent Ambersons. He's the same uh, cinematographer that did Three Faces of Eve, which is another movie that had some very interesting cinematic techniques, I think. Um, but he actually did a lot of this on the fly. And and I, I don't know. He seems like he's kind of one of those old style. There's a whole uh, video of him that I that I sent you guys last night. But he's kind of one of those old style shit talkers. That, like, I did everything. So who knows, you know how much he, he actually contributed to it, but I do have two clips of him, uh, you know, yeah, for later on roll. in the show where, yeah. All right. Hold on. I've got to, I got to grab it. Because I mean, like, I think that this is a, this is a movie that both the use of music and the use of uh, shadow and light are pretty extraordinary and very influential. So, I mean, I think it's worth exploring because full of I German it, expressionism. I, I mean, <laughs> gosh, like look, look at, uh, you know, look at, uh, Ingmar Bergman. He liked it too, you know? <laughs> You know, the happiest filmmaker ever. Exactly. John's dead. Where's the money hit? Tell me, you little retro. I'll tell you. Did you have a basic idea of what you wanted to do, you and Charles Lawton, on the night of the hunter in terms of the lighting? It was my concept completely. What was it? That's hard to explain. Uh, but, uh, but what I will tell you, uh, I mean, you say, what was your concept? It's hard to explain. Not technically. When a, when, a, when a painter paints a picture, say, what was his concept? It's his style that counts. It's what he thinks and feels and does, and what he reflects and what he has gone through life and so on and so on. You just don't make pictures with just light. There must be a reason. But then, now, there's a sequence in uh, Night of the Hunter, and it's a very poetic sequence. And uh, I lit it in a sort of full, full-bodied way. But after hearing Bob Mitchum talk and what he had to say, I used to begin with, we'll say, about ten lights. I designed the whole concept with four lights. Because the four lights that I used, I think it's the ten, was the dramatic communication that I wanted the audience to get. Now, when when we rehearsed the scene, and when I was changing lighting, Charles Lawton said to me, Stan, what are you thinking about? I, I was pretty close to Charles. That's none of your damn business, Lawton, you know, in a, in a, in a humorous way. But he insisted. I said, Charles, I'm thinking about a piece of music right now. And he said, and may I ask what the music is? I said, Balz Triste. But before I go any further, music plays a very important part in my work because it gives me the key to a characterization of lighting. Now, another thing happened all this time, and Charles turned his face red. He said, how right you are. Because the music of Valtz Triste is a waltz strange tempo. Down the line. Well, Charles was so impressed that he called, and this never happened before, he called the composer, Walter Schumann, on the set to watch what I was doing visually so that he, Schumann, can do musically. And that's how the waltz tempo was designed on Night of the Hunter. 
Would you describe the Night of the Hunter as being a low-key picture? I would consider that as a contrast picture, not necessarily in terms of a low-key, because that was shot in a, in a very high-key, but the impression of a low-key. You follow me? The expression of low-key is a very erroneous expression. When people think in terms of low-key lighting, they think in terms of using a very small amount of light. You see. Now, I can use a great many lights and still have a low-key effect or a low-key feeling. We did something in Night of the Hunter, which I think is very interesting. Uh, we were at the, at the RKO Ranch, and the, the, the scene of the little boy behind the window in the house. And we got the feeling that we should sort of dolly in to the boy. Well, it was getting late in the day. And uh, uh, Charles and I talked about it, about, about moving in. I said, Charles, I've got an idea. I think you'll like it. What I did was I used a simple iris. And by closing the iris down, just holding the boy's face gave the impression of a move in. Way to give Charles Lawton no credit on making this movie. Right, exactly. Yeah, that was, I mean. I hid in this movie myself. Yeah. Well, the I said it in a very humorous way. <laughs> uh, the thing the thing is, is like he's talking about, you know, using all these lights, but it, it, it almost makes it look like he's using natural light, like he's trying to make Barry Lyndon before Barry Lyndon. Um, and which I guess, it, you know, isn't a bad thing unless you, I mean, if you are out of ambient. Um, but, uh, because Barry Lyndon is, oh my God, yeah, that's a story for a whole other time. Um, but no, it seems like he, it, it, like it was almost natural. After lighting. party, after party. <laughs> you know, because like the way, especially like when she's in the bathroom in that sequence, you know, the lights coming in from the moonlight from the window kind of thing. So it's, I mean, it, it, it almost seemed like natural lighting. I wouldn't call it low key. And I don't, you know, but. He's getting, he was getting fed up with that, uh, with the woman that was interviewing him the entire time. He's like, it's not low key. It's uh, you know, it's a it's erroneous. It's Thor. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's, um, it's Tom Hiddleston uh, lighting. And I, I should right, say right, there's right. there's three minutes. Uh, there's there's three minutes of him actually praising Charles Lawton before that. So he okay. he does give him credit, but he says that because it was Charles Lawton's first and only picture that he directed. Um, it is. And, you know, it's kind of sad that you know, five years later, Charles Lawton had passed away and he felt like this film was a failure because it was, you know, commercially, I guess, a failure. Yeah, um, just because yeah. critics hated it and it did poorly commercially, everyone <laughs> thought it was a failure. Yeah. But now it's like one of the most, like, uh, you know, singularly impressive. And um, I think yeah. uh, like, like right behind Citizen Kane type of good. Yeah. 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 So it's kind of wild, you know, within your lifetime, if your lifetime is only five years after the fact, like maybe your art will be unappreciated. But, um, you know, when it finally comes down to like how the art looks in retrospect, I think it could be incredibly uh, influential. Someone's echoing. I don't know. I, I sure as hell hope so. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so I agree that and it's, it's a shame this is the only movie he ever did. Yeah. Yeah. But he was but also, I mean, a, I mean, he has a lot of theater that he did. He did like a lot of theater stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He did like a lot of acting. And he, he was, things, and he was in like hundreds of, or at least dozens of movies, um, including The Hunchback of Notre Dame. He had his own yes. version of that, which was, uh, you know, inspired people like Guillermo del Toro um, later on. 
Well, my whole thing is uh, if he had done a, a movie after this, and now we go and we look back and we think this is a masterpiece, would anything else that he had done kind of hit the same level? You know what I mean? Can you kind of, like, because oh, I mean, like, the sophomore uh, slump basically is what you're trying to well, say. Well, not even the sophomore slump. I mean, because uh, Wells made Kane, which is a masterpiece in my eyes, but. He went on, and he went on to make an, more great films, but none of them ever really hit the same level. You he went on I mean? to make the magnificent Ambersons with our good friend, uh, <laughs> our good friend Stanley Cortez, who who also claims he did he he came up with everything on that too. Everything. Did he really? Yeah. Oh, that's, for, that, that's a guy that's been denied flowers for too long because he clearly needs to get them. <laughs> well, his mom that. didn't hug him. This film kind of, since it was like a big, like a, a flop and uh, during, you know, it's time, but it developed like a cult following at first, which we all know what happens when films develop a bit of a cult following. Sometimes it reaches into the mainstream and people actually reevaluate it and realize, oh shit, this might be a masterpiece after all. What happens when you start a cult following is everybody starts trying to be their own Harry Powell. And they go out and they start killing widows. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. I to mention that because I was looking up information. There was an episode uh called the called fall the television series better call saul the night of the hunters mm. show playing in a retirement home as series protagonist jimmy mcgill attempts to deceive a number of his clients reverend powell's hand gestures during his right hand left hand speech are uh, juxtaposed with similar gestures made by jimmy highlighting his uh charismatic but duplicitous nature and also too it was uh mentioned in uh used in promising young woman which is a favorite film of mine that's, that's, yeah, that's yeah. Kind of crazy not knowing this film, I think watching Better Call Saul, I don't remember that happening, but like it is totally something that they would do I, in that show. I was totally doing the Leo. Ah, I was, I was doing <laughs> that meme the entire time. Well, the so thing, funny. the thing about Better Call Saul is like the character of Jimmy McGill was a big fan of old cinema because if you notice, it was uh, the network speech, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, not only that, but not only that, but like um, his uh, his company or whatever is Ice Station Zebra associates you know so he's just and him and kim are uh are always watching older movies and it's uh yeah i saw, I mean, not, I saw a tweet that someone had today where they said uh the thing that better call saw is done more than anything else is make you realize how uh how much fun it is to watch older movies with your hot lawyer girlfriend <laughs> i need to get one then <laughs> um yeah they're always watching old movies on that show like he is he's obsessed and it kind of plays into like his stage persona um yeah. which i kind of find really fascinating in that show because like not only is he theatrical as a kind of a, a performance artist um throughout that show like bending the line between kind of television personality and lawyer but like uh also you can see that he's like inspired by you know decades of, of filmmaking and, and television shows and stuff and i have to wonder if like vince gilligan in his mind was like i want to shoehorn as many older movies into this as i can and like this is a perfect way to do it <laughs> Why not? Why not? But I mean, like, what? But also, why not? Because there's so many inspirational things in Night of the Hunter, as far as like certain types of directors have like wholesale like taken their style from like certain scenes. Like, look at like, uh, yeah, <laughs> for one, yeah. Uh, like, look, look at this the scene of like when um, in the boat, right, where uh, the uncle's like in the boat, and like you see like the the car, and she's like in the car, like because uh, uh, Rob Mitchell's character is you know killed her and like driven driven the car into the lake uh, or the river, sorry, and the uh, and uh, I mean just that visual alone, like how many times have we seen that echoed 
in cinema and TV. Yeah, and there's that Guillermo del Toro thing where he's talking about this movie and he says he's tried over and over again to kind of replicate that scene and he just can't yeah. like the the actual um placement and stuff. That it's kind of it's pretty incredible. It's like a painting, I think, almost. Yeah. Uh, it really is gorgeous. Like I watch those Criterion Closet videos because and I just get pissed off that I can't be in there with a bag and just start going like this and putting them in there. Um but one of the early ones, Michael K. Williams was in there and the first like one of the first movies he grabbed was Night of the Hunter and just talked about how amazing it was. And then you see, you know, uh oh hey, there you go. My last record, by the way. And uh yeah, yeah, I was gonna say, like as I was sitting there, I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> yeah, and and like you know, Spike Lee was influenced by this movie. He if you get him yeah. talking about it, he won't shut up, you know. Yeah, well you have the Radio Raheem thing. Radio Raheem. Yep. And yeah. he has the love and hate um on his knuckles. And and uh yeah. Um Are we close but, to a criterion burning yet? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you, you go into the closet, right? Everybody goes into the closet. Well, we should redistribute the movie is from the Criterion Closet to the people. I don't know why we're not doing this. It, it's $27 on average for a Criterion Channel movie. Who can afford that? We go into the closet and we just redistribute 10% of the, the movie, the movies in the closet, redistribute 10% to the people. The American people deserve this. <laughs> they won't appreciate it, but they deserve it. Yeah. <laughs> But I mean, and there's a lot of I would you know like think about the scene where the kids are in the boat and they're just like going down the river and you see it from the perspective of the different like you know beasts on the shore and things as as they pass by everything, like it's so like simple compositionally, but man, it's it's just like such a striking and iconic visual. I would have booked it out of there if I was that desert tortoise because uh, number one, it shouldn't have been there. But number, <laughs> there's a on the I was watching it on Amazon Prime and the, the thing pops up where it's like continuity stuff and it's like a desert tortoise would not have been living in West Virginia and it's like yeah no maybe shit. it was on vacation all right <laughs> he was visiting his uh, Raider slider cousins out north but uh, I would have booked it out of there if I was that tortoise because he starts talking about like oh we can make soup out of it but I don't know how to get it open I'd be like that's my cue I'm out of here. I should have but never to be fair, that, come to West Virginia. To be fair, if that tortoise did start booking it, it would still be booking it now. So. Yeah. <laughs> It'd still be on its way. Yeah. And I will I also get say, the I fuck am out glad, of here. I'm glad for that musical number on the river uh, that sung, was sung by the little girl was uh, not yeah. sung by the actual little girl, but apparently somebody else. It sounded like an adult trying to sound like a little girl. Yeah. Um, yeah. Bjork. <laughs> Yes, it totally sounds like a Bjork song. I mean, yeah, yeah, no, but, but like, I appreciated because because like her line delivery was very monotonic because she was screaming every single line just like a four year old would. Um, yeah. you know, which if you've had children, you understand this. But uh, as as a film viewer, it's not something I I particularly enjoyed. Um, but but I, I did appreciate that they had somebody else singing. Yeah, well, Sean Moon commented, uh, and so I'll read it so that the audio version people aren't just confused about what we're answering. Has there ever been a better scene of horror than when Un Uncle Birdie uh, discovers Shelly Winters underwater in the car? That's it, it's. I like okay. that he doesn't. I like that he realizes that he could get reported because he's just kind of some creepy old guy in a, you know what I mean, like some alcoholic old guy in like a on like a river boat thing. Like he realizes that he's the one that that it would instantly get pinned on, not like the. Yeah, like, oh, you found her there. Yeah. Huh? Oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, Wait, aren't you the guy that's giving little kids coffee? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, and he has some relationship because he knows the family, and he must be the brother of the dad, right? Like, I, I think that's what's implied. Yeah, it's, um, pretty, it's pretty clear weird. there's some Irish in that coffee. Yeah, 
Yeah. <laughs> the funny thing is the dad was uh, Peter Graves and like I, yeah. I recognized him, but I couldn't quite place him because I had never seen him so young. Um, yeah, I didn't even know he was ever young. And, um, and I was just thinking like, like I realized, okay, I know he did something with, with, with uh, Mr. Spock, but he wasn't on Star Trek. <laughs> I, I was and and like, I you know, like, was, uh, was uh, you ever seen a grown man naked? I was going to say, I, was say that. <laughs> <laughs> I want you to swear. Have you ever seen a grown man naked? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've only ever seen him old. So it was really jarring to see him as like a young, like, hot, muscly, like actor. It's, I guess it's understandable how he ended up being a a, a gray a graying uh, you know silver fox of a of an actor later on. You know, I was looking at uh, Harry F. Powers. You know, the the guy that uh, that Robert. You know, that the character is based off of, and like the crimes he committed. Robert, they kind of they must have really tried to find a guy that looked like Harry F. Powers because damn, Robert Mitchum is almost like a dead ringer for this guy. Really? It was crazy. I have I have the Harry Powers Wikipedia thing <laughs> yep. pulled up right now. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah, I, like, a, right? like a lump, lumpier version of uh, Robert Mitchum. Yeah, or the worst haircut. I don't, I, I don't know the story exactly of this, but I don't know if he. Um, I, I haven't seen anything that says that he was going around. Movie extravaganza brought to you by Wikipedia. Wikipedia, <laughs> where you can find anything you want to know. Well, I don't know. Yeah, so he was he was the Lonely Hearts murderer, right? Like the guy that yeah. went around uh, killing widows and and you know lonely women. But I don't know if there was a part of it where he was like a where he was an itinerant. Uh, I don't know if the part of it where he was an itinerant uh, preacher was was. I'm kind of curious about that. I don't know, but but it just reminded me of. Uh, I guess they wanted some irony or something like that. It reminded me of this Twitter account I found today of like. Um, uh it's like bad youtube comments and oh. um uh somebody commented like why don't you get serial killers um <laughs> yeah, i know i know just look at my youtube channel the comment hey. was like why do people keep giving serial killers such great names um the that's why they keep <laughs> more serial killers that's yeah. okay. so it's like yeah look, i wasn't gonna become a serial killer but yeah. i never got a nickname and he, yeah I just, I if they didn't the call him the lonely heart serial killer would we have um uh the 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 uh night stalker would, Black Dahlia killer. Yeah, yeah. Well, so yeah, so he's exactly. the Lonely Hearts. He would put he would take out the Lonely Hearts ads in the in the in the paper or whatever, where you know you would look for somebody. It was the early version of uh, you know like going Perfect. online to do online dating or something, where you where you you know you put your profile up there, like you would do that, but in the newspaper. Yeah, he's like, like the Craigslist killer. I, I, we better have a Night Stalker because a world without Carl Kolchak is one that I do not want to live in. <laughs> Kolchak, the man. Indeed. There we go. This is this is a show to get that reference, folks. Uh, yes. <laughs> so. But yeah, I, I think that this can is I, well, before we dance yeah. on to the next thing immediately and then be immediately sidetracked by whatever's on Andy's mind, uh, can we talk about <laughs> other people that uh, were up for the Robert Mitchum role or or that were they talked about? I think because I think Ooh. this is actually really fascinating. This is the yes. I, know, I understand that it's the the Christina bit, but uh, uh, there are there were other people that were considered for the role. And it, I, I mean, I think it's an iconic role and it wouldn't be the same personally. Um, so one of the people. OK, so we got uh, John Carradine. Mm. Oh, which definitely got the gravitas to pull that off. Mm -hmm. Right. So but uh, that would have been that would have been very different. That would have been a very different. Uh, Lawton actually wanted Gary Cooper. 
Really? Gary Cooper in really? Night of the Hunter. Really? Who can forget Gary Cooper in, in the role as the evil Reverend Harry Powell in Night of the Hunter? Gary he's Cooper gonna, is super duper. He's gonna he's gonna soft shoe away after he murders somebody's wife. <laughs> Lawrence Olivier was actually into it, but was tied up for like two years, so he didn't have the timing to do it. Mm. So Lawrence Olivier, everybody, yeah. Uh, the uh, so and, and Mitchum actually wanted it and he like apparently really wanted it. Uh, also, um, Willa Harper, Agnes Moorhead was considered, which okay would have been interesting. Uh, Grace Kelly was considered for the role of uh, Willa Harper. Oh, See, I don't know if I, I don't know if that would have been as good because. And this is not taking anything away from Shelly Winters, but she really played it as more of a a, a down home kind of person. And Grace yeah. Kelly is like, yeah. holy crap! Yeah. yeah, she's a princess. She's, also, she's, too, she's, she's, was yeah. this this had to have been right before she married Prince Rainier, which uh, I'm trying to remember what year they got married, but it was probably in like the late fifties, I think, when they got married. So, like, because she uh, only did like five films. Exactly, uh, Betty Grable. Actually, was was the, the pinup girl was was also uh, uh, considered for the role, but in the end, uh, Lawton no. chose Shelley because he felt she had a vulnerable quality and was more of a serious actor than a quote unquote movie star. Don't and, bring uh, up she, pictures of Eli Roth like this; it scares me. <laughs> <laughs> no, but apparently, I, she committed to the role like only two weeks before they started filming, hmm. which is crazy. Um, so I, I wanted to pull this up this image of Charles Lawton, who's the director of this, obviously, because uh, he originally had bought the. The, the book so that he could uh, play the role, um, you know, in this, the Robert Mitchum role. As, and that's not a role, right? That's just what he looked like. That, so that's that's him playing uh, Hunchback of Notre Dame. Yeah, yeah. This is not his this is not his everyday look. He had a very <laughs> nice, soft-spoken voice. Yeah. Um, uh, but I, I don't know. So I think it's I think it's interesting to look at him because uh, within this kind of gothic horror style, you can, you can kind of see where – he gets, uh, it's interesting to look at him as as the hunchback. Yeah, it's it's very yeah. it is interesting. I agree. <laughs> also, Robert Mitchum actually said that like uh, that Charles Lawton was probably like one of his favorite directors to like like work for like work with, and that fact that this is probably like his favorite movie he's ever like acted in. Well, being an actor, you'd figure Lawton would be an actor's director, so he would yeah. be yeah. you know get really in there with the actors, you know. So that's, no, and he, and he quintessentially was, and everyone that worked for him like had an extreme amount of loyalty to him because they were like, "This is a guy that you know, this is his first movie. He's a he's an award winning like actor, like he's been you know acting for decades, and this is his first chance to kind of direct something." So everybody on this on the, on the set of this film, whether it was Lillian Gish, whether it was like the kids, whether it was Robert Mitchum, they all had like. This amazing loyalty and uh, and and, and uh, Johnny, the, the the older of the two kids, you know, gave a hell of a good performance. And I, I don't even know who that kid yeah. is. Like, yeah. like, did he do anything after this? Spit in like a couple other things. Nothing, nothing. Nuts. I, I like I like the reason why they why Charles Lawton casted Lillian Gish. He's like back in my day, they actually stood like they actually sat up and like leaned in forward when you would appear on screen i want people to do that again they just slapped and slump and i'm like oh and eat their popcorn yeah 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 and and lawton was very insecure because every time somebody came up to him with an idea for the movie he would be like oh is what i'm doing not good enough and he would feel really yeah. bad about it so that at one point i guess they just stopped trying to give him ideas because <laughs> they were afraid he was gonna he was gonna end up like shelly winters in the water but 
<laughs> no, he was he was a very insecure and uh, you know I guess um, uh, susceptible to to feeling bad about his work kind of guy. I think in general, but like the fact that this is his first film that he ever directed, I think especially so. Probably and, why the uh, director of photography there was taking all that credit. <laughs> and and Lawton's not here to to say you're wrong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that so. was in the that was in the eighties, and Lawton died in nineteen sixty. Yeah, I imagine it's a bit like uh. Uh, to like the whole Stanley Jack Kirby thing, like like you know Stanley uh, took a little yeah. bit more credit for creating stuff uh, than than he deserved. And uh, Ooh, team, team Kirby, Charles Lawton was a bisexual king. Respect, really? Huh? You yeah. just now you just now found that out. He yes. was in the theater. So. You, you do realize that all the lights were uh, pink and purple on the on set. <laughs> well, he was married, married to um uh i forget her name but she played bride of frankenstein and yeah, yeah and uh, there were rumors that that she was also bisexual and that they got married because they needed to put up appearances oh. lavender in fact the uh, bisexual elsa, skeleton elsa lanchester yes, yes. And, uh, and, and he was he was very openly um like like everybody knew that he was bisexual um is what the worst kept secret in hollywood yeah not Rock Hudson? Well, second worst kept secret. Yes. <laughs> um, Actually, yeah. uh, you know, you know they, they have a they have a couple uh, pictures of uh, uh, Charles Lawton uh, hanging out. Actually, and I think uh, here he is. Really? Oh, he's <laughs> <laughs> looking good. He lost yeah. some weight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> looking svelte. Looking svelte. He's looking uh, like a skeleton. That's how, for uh, the, that's, how skinny, that's how skinny he is in the in the in the grave over there. <laughs> for the non-video consumers of Movie Night Extravaganza, Conan has just put up a skeleton rendering of bisexual lighting. A 3D rendering of a skeleton. <laughs> Read the caption. Um but yeah, I, I think that this movie is kind of divided, much like much like I would say uh the third man was kind of divided up mm -hmm. into two parts, right? Like you know, yeah. um, the first story is the story of, you know, uh, the, the mother getting killed and meeting Harry Powell and then the kids escape. And it feels like uh, that that's kind of almost like it, it, its own story in the way that a lot of those Brothers Grimm fairy tales, right? That they would have uh, parts to it. Like mm -hmm. first, first someone goes here, then someone goes there. And those are almost their own self-contained stories. So the kids take off on the river for the second part and then they find Lillian Gish and you know, it's kind of a random thing. I, I think that this time period is interesting to make this kind of movie because people were kind of just itinerant. Like, I don't think that that exists anymore. You could still get lost in America, right? Yeah. Like, which is not a thing you can really do anymore. Like, you well, can... no, I gotta, I gotta, I want your guys' opinion on something. We were bringing up the other actors that were up for the Mitchum role. What do you, what would, what do you think of Wells had gotten this? Ooh, Ooh. that'd be interesting. Ooh. You mean the most tedious man alive? <laughs> You definitely would have wouldn't have had that like southern affect that uh, Robert Mitchum takes down throughout no, that. I feel no. like you would have more. Oh, of, like, he's so Robert Mitchum is good at that. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, well, and it's also, you know, the the people that were mentioned as the other folks like in contention uh, would have been good. I mean, Olivier, pretty good. Would have been would have been good in the role. Good actor, right? Um, but yeah, like I mean, the one that I'm like nah, Gary Cooper was like. Yeah, that would have been. I don't think so. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it is. 
and yeah. and it's well, one of those that's, classic, that's, uh, you know, like fairy tale things, right? Like the, the adults turn out yes. to be useless, and yeah, yeah, the kids know what's up, and the adults are like under this the spell, so to speak, of the uh, of, of the evil character. Yeah, it's like, like a Friday the Thirteenth movie. <laughs> hey, speaking of which, <laughs> oh, it's Friday the Thirteenth over here. <laughs> hey, what are you gonna do, huh? Well, but it's are listening later. It is actually Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah, <laughs> that, that, that is the point of these comments. Uh, the <laughs> but yeah, yeah, like the kids are they know they know what's up and it's very clear from the very beginning. And then like all the adults are just under a spell. That's what it comes yeah. down to. Either the spell of the villain or the spell of alcohol. <laughs> well, well, and John is actually very, very mature for his age in this. He plays uh, like a like a, you might as well you could have cast like a thirty five year old in that role because of the way he plays it. He's almost oh, like he's to, not a up kid. To John's role, Toby McGuire. Oh, what do you know? <laughs> Amazing. The, my, my sole complaint about the first Spider Man movie is like all these motherfuckers are in high school. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> At least as the students, the background fine. actors, the background actors are like look like they're in high school, and then you have yeah. fucking James Franco, who I would not let into a high school, by the way, and Tobey Maguire. Be <laughs> like, well, and Kirsten Dunst, all like, we are but high school children. What are we gonna do? Uh, <laughs> and was it Joe like, Montecalano or however you say this, the dude's name? How do you do, fellow children? Uh, <laughs> well, and that's what's so Steve what was so funny is? about the. Like recent Spider-Man's when Martin Starr was cast as one of the teachers. Because first I was like, hey, and then I was like, actually, that totally checks out. Yeah, but I definitely like the and the first one was like straining credulity. And also, like, you know, see my and I can't believe I pivoted to Spider-Man discussions, but here we are. Uh that no. like I don't know why how so many movies have to have him in high school. Like in the comics, he really just there was not that many comics where he was in high school. There's so many Spider-Man at college, Spider-Man was, being like a broke ass adult trying to get through being in college. So did finally like 15 issues and uh most of them were in college. <laughs> right. And and the only I mean ultimate Spider-Man kind of too, by the way. Stalker Channing being 35 as Rizzo. <laughs> well, exactly, but the, yeah. So, so anyway, yeah. The the point of that is like uh, aging down is like can be fine if you can suspend disbelief, and and that's fine, Danny. But that's you know, like let's put it this way: like I think that having uh, what was it, Billy? Is that his name? The the actor's name? Yeah, I know he didn't do like two. Uh, Billy, Billy Billy Chapin 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 yeah. Chapin, Chapin Harry Chapin Cats in the Cradle. <laughs> I mean, they did that with Shirley Temple initially. They made her a year younger because they really wanted to make her out to be like this baby. And then right, it wasn't exactly. until she did the war, what was it, the war at home? She realized, oh, I'm actually a year older than I'm supposed to be. But that Why am I dying? I thought I was younger. <laughs> that's, that's, but that's how it was back in the day, though. You know, guess I'm going to go join the UN. I can't do this anymore. Yeah, seriously. That's <laughs> can we, can we talk real quick about how they're make re they're, they're writing the script for the remake of Night of the Hunter as we speak? What or are they? Yeah. They, tra uh, they tried I, to do I it once already and it was freaking horrible. It was. Show. Yeah. This is from uh, back in 20, uh, April 2020. No. And Matt Orton, who wrote Operation Finale, and he was a producer on Moon Knight, is penning it, and it's coming out through Universal. You know who could? Why? You know who could? I think Why? do do uh, a performance though. 
that um, probably wouldn't equal, but could kind of uh, Johnny Depp. <laughs> no, I think I think Billy Bob Thornton would be a really interesting person. Oh, what about play. Michael uh, Shannon? Yeah, Michael Shannon too. But Billy what Bob about Matthew McConaughey? So, so all I was right, all right, all right. In in Fargo, right, the first season of Fargo, um, I feel like Billy Bob Thornton's uh, character as like um, I remember I think it's Malvo is the name of his character. They barely say the names of the things in there, yeah. but his like his psychotic, um, you know, stalker, uh, you know, killer character, assassin character in the first season of Fargo. I think there's some, there's some similarities between like the archetype, uh, like the big bad wolf kind of archetype, right? And they make that very clear within within Fargo. Like the the big bad wolf yeah. archetype in that in this movie in Robert Mitchum's uh, Harry Powell. With all two the, words, two words, Nicholas Cage. I was thinking, you, yeah, I don't you know. guys ever saw the guest starring Dan Stevens, but it was almost like a big bad wolf type of situation. Oh, the guest uh, is great. Oh man, so now I'm thinking yeah. of Dan Stevens playing a character like like this because he can pull out the charming like psychopath yeah. type of you know he's good looking, he seems charming, but Legion. The thing is. I think that I think that Robert Mitchum is charming, and but like in this, there's a creepiness that follows him around um, throughout this his performance in this. That it's like, dude, there's nothing like in my mind. There's nothing like charming in the way that like uh, I mean, Icy Spoons and her husband are just kind of dumb. But like, it doesn't feel like there's something charming about him. It does like it feels like very menacing. Um, so like that to watch brandies kind of, for sickness in the house. <laughs> but to, like to watch everybody fall under his spell. And in my mind, personally, I'm like, this dude is so fucking creepy. Like, you guys are falling into the spell of, like, charismatic for sure, but, like, this this insanely uh, insidious and, like, an, an evil-seeming um, itinerant preacher character. And I'm like, this, why, why are you falling under this guy's spell? <laughs> well... Yeah, see- yeah, but you're yeah, not. You're I mean, not. I mean, there's a certain degree of like. I'm just. I'm just gonna say it. Physically attractive people can get away with a lot of shit. Yeah, and and he he very much is physically attractive. He's a handsome dude, right? Yeah. So like, I mean, look what happens to his character in K. Fear. They they basically make you know like like uh, Sam Bowden the, the 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 one that's actually has all the issues, and Max Katie. Oh, he's great. He ain't doing anything wrong. He's he's you know whatever whatever. And I'm like, hello. But again, the, the Scorsese, uh, Kate Fear, <laughs> the entire time the Max Katie, like, um, De Niro's version, I just couldn't take it seriously that he had a, um, the Southern Nick accent. Nolte. <laughs> Nick fucking Nolte? Like, that's weak. Yeah, that, that, he shouldn't have had that accent. No. That, 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 that wasn't good. You talking to me? You talking hey, to me? Get- we there's should no get one Nick, else, there's should, no one there's no one else goddamn here. <laughs> we should get Nick we should get Nick Nolte's uh mugshot to play uh Harry in the remake. <laughs> we should have the K Fear theme music playing in the background when we pull up that uh mugshot. Yeah. Um but so I, I kind of think that this story is fascinating because it's this uh time period, like the Great Depression, where everyone's suffering, everybody's poor. Um it's kind of this collective suffering, right? That like People either kind of um, just decide, hey, guess what? Fuck you. I'm going to figure out my shit and, like, you know, lock the doors. Or, like, that one woman that's like, oh, go away. Go away after giving them the one potato. Or, you know, charity kind of becomes a a thing that, like, uh, collectively we have to do, right? Like, Lillian Gish is just kind of adopting kids. And I don't know about – One potato a man eats. Doing the right things. (laughs) But I don't don't really know about another another time period that that level of, like, collective – 
I guess itinerancy is the right word, like collective we just traveling. Don't see about, anything like about. that happening anymore these days. <laughs> but but the weirdness uh, too Thanks, is like Obama. the moralizing about some of it uh, <laughs> that that you see as well was very 1950s. Um, yeah. Like like there was a um, uh, Lillian Gish's character was was right on point for for the era, but uh, you know there, there was a lot of uh, what what seemed like you know. Um, uh, sh you know, poverty shaming, um, you know, Peter Graves um, uh, at the beginning there, you know, with the, the whole like, like, you know, you're not making any money. So he went to rob the bank and killed two people. And, um, you know, I pushed the man to murder because <laughs> uh, <laughs> I needed that? paint for my face. Paint for, yeah, face. Yeah. Pa uh, paint for my face. Exactly. That That's the one that I, I wanted clothes like. in the face paint. And I drove a man to kill. I drove my husband to kill two men. <laughs> and can we talk about in that scene, like how like it, this this is Robert Mitchum's like you know they're, they're people are, are like you know doing their testimony and whatnot, but they got the flames going. Like how yeah. cool are like like that's yeah. such a neat visual of just sort of like oh yeah, like it's got like yeah, this it's, sort it's of like its own kind of snake handling kind of thing almost. The way it, there's a Absolutely. there's a sequence in this movie that it really hit me hard, and it's it's such a throwaway sequence. It's when the guard is done executing uh, their dad. And he comes home saying, I, you know, like, I don't know how much more of this I can do, you know, this, that, and the other thing. I'm like, wow, that is like, we never see from the guard's point of view. Yeah, where, where's that Disney, uh, Disney plus prestige television show? Thank you. See, see that's also, what we it's need. It's also something that um, we talked Green about. Green Mile, the series. With, with, <laughs> exactly. With Eileen Jones, like when she came on, right? All, in noir, um, all these random side characters that like you kind of just see for one or two scenes kind of have these whole rich backstories. And I think with the, you know, you find out with Bart, the executioner, I guess is his name. You find out really quickly, like, Oh, well, you know, he used to work in the mine and his wife doesn't want him to go back to the mine because it was a mine collapse. And now he's an executioner. And like, you find out this whole rich backstory for this guy within that one scene. And he's like, I don't want to do this anymore. And she's like, do you think you're going to leave your kids without a father? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's so murder more people. Yeah, exactly. So, this, so, so those are the two choices, apparently. That's the only types of vocations available in that town. And they bring him back at the end, and they're like, we're saving this one for you. And he's like, this one would be my pleasure. Yeah, you know, that's a great scene, right? Yeah. Well, because there's sort of like the like this uprising about, you know, like how, okay, we don't we don't feel that like this, like justice is going to be done. We're super pissed about it. You know, like, uh Torches and pitchforks, and yeah, like wait, it's like this. This one will be my. I'm okay with this one. This one's all right. I'll ask you this dude. This dude sucks. And the two, the two, uh, you know, the spoons, Walt Spoon and uh, Icy Spoon. Who's the fuck's name? Icy, Icy Spoon. Like, like she, you pretty much have to have an ice cream store if your name is Icy Spoon. Yeah, yeah. I think it's the law. Or a, you, no, have, uh, you know, have a uh, OnlyFans page. No, but they were the ones that were the most like. Well, Walt seemed to be getting in his head a little bit. Like, hey, this situation doesn't quite add up. But his wife was like, you know, was the one completely enthralled by the sexual charisma of uh, and apparently has never really come in her life. Like, I, I don't it, she explicitly kind of says that. And she's like, you know, I just lay there and think about, uh, you know, my my what did she say? Um, oh, God. It's, oh, my my canning, my canning. Yeah, I, I just lay there and think about my canning. Holy <laughs> crap. What a great line. Like, <laughs> And his face is so dejected after like. I don't know, like, <laughs> oh, yeah, but like, it, she's <laughs> so enthralled by the sexual charisma and and you know uh, the godliness in her mind, I guess, of Harry Powell. That like, she's the one that's like, oh, you should marry this guy that just came into town that we don't know. He can have all my fudge. 
<laughs> Yo, that's a little oh creepy line in this though. It's you won't get line, a yeah. smidgen of my fudge unless you yeah, come oh, to the yeah? <laughs> You know, Cannibal the Musical ruined that line for me because like uh, in that movie, every time they ended a sentence with fudge, they would add Packer at the end because, you know, Alfred Packer uh, as a joke. Um, so, so they would always be offering, uh, Alfred Packer fudge. Like, would you like some fudge Packer? Okay. Yeah. So, so every single time I hear fudge now, I just, I don't want to add that. Packer. I just, I just found it insanely creepy. Her, the way that she delivers that line was like flirty and weird. And she's like, you yeah. won't get a smidgen of my fudge unless you but, come to the picnic. By the way, the audio commentary for cannibal, the music is quite musical. It's quite possibly the drunkest commentary on the face of the planet. Really? After party today. Um <laughs> we're gonna recreate it. <laughs> and it's gonna be relegated to like two minutes of material. All the stuff's gonna be in the after party. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm gonna be sitting there and you know oh, the colors were great. Oh, there was Andy, everybody. Okay. <laughs> A smidgen of fudge for everyone. Um, <laughs> um yeah, but like I, I think that it's kind of funny that they're the ones that are sitting there at the end of the, when, when he's getting tried. Right. And they're the ones that are like Bluebeard, Bluebeard, he's killed 25 women. Like they're the ones that are most intensely, um, you know, calling for his death when they're kind of the ones that were instigating her to like get married to him in the first place. Um, and like, they were the most enthralled to him and they were the most useless people like to the kids. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> we love you now die. I don't. It's just. It's also funny that they have the whole thing with uh, him talking about the gypsies, and he's like, "I thought the gypsies had gotten them." Yes. And he's like, "He's like, they didn't yeah, find yeah, the yeah. gypsies. They didn't find the horse either." <laughs> like, wow. Yeah, that, there, there's a lot of throwaway that... lines that are little short stories in this, for sure. Yeah, yeah. and that 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 level of racism too. I was not expecting for this movie. I was, you know, oh, that's like that's pretty. I mean, look, this is 1955, man. Like this. Is yeah, like, yeah. I was just expecting an N word, you know, <laughs> which there was none. <laughs> <laughs> but like yeah, I, so they they do the really cool thing though where he says uh they didn't find the gypsies they didn't find the horse either and then it flips right to him riding the horse and the the that ominous music that follows him everywhere dun, 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 yeah. and he's like right and you know it almost like implies that he was the itinerant person or, or i'm overusing the word itinerant in this episode but he was the the kind of uh what's, traveling what's this what's this we you're the one using it no i said i said I'm, it's on his world day calendar I said I'm the one. I said I'm overusing itinerant. Ah, okay. I, I, no one else has said it, but I'm overusing itinerant in this episode. But I, you know, it, it's kind of this this vagrancy almost, right? Like he's he's kind of the the gypsy in this situation. Um, yeah, he's the, he's the drifter. He, and yeah. the sequence when he's on the horse in the background and the kids see him, that is like, wow. I, yeah, that that's I, some like Lord of the Rings slash Old Testament like you know like that like you know call it whatever narrative fiction you want uh, call it what you will like it's an incredible scene and just like the kind of like oh no go 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 <laughs> like like that kind of 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 uh, level of anxiety that, that, he's encroaching like, slowly like Jason Voorhees right <laughs> I mean. Well, not, also, also the kids are in that are sleeping in that barn, and you see him yeah. uh, go by on his horse, and there's that really creepy. He makes it so fucking creepy. Robert Mitchum is so good in this, but he makes the creepy yeah. um lean in, lean yeah, in, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so he's, he's and you can hear it over the water. Right? You it's hear him coming, over. yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's like look at Omar coming, you know, yeah. Like look, look how many times <laughs> have, have that been used in like narrative fiction, like lots. Because and guess where it fucking came from? It came from this film. Like, 
and there, there, the idea of there being, <laughs> there being like this uh, relentless adversary in pursuit that announced himself with song was not really a thing that was, uh, uh, that was done in, uh, in, uh, in movies for sure. Good to know David Simon was a fan. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, well who, who was, I mean, back to Michael K. Williams in the Criterion Closet grabbing uh, the movie. There you go. There you well, go. I mean, uh, let's be fair. Like uh, a lot of the wires dialogue and stuff was actually done by the actors because the writer's room was just nothing but white guys. So um, that's I mean, like, like we don't know how black people talk in the inner city. Like, it like, was all done by Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> so, so, so I was they, waiting for that. <laughs> yeah, so, so they allowed. I don't think. I don't. I don't think anyone in the show is, is is saying the n word enough times. I, I think that you need to say it at least three more times in this episode. <laughs> so on the wire, they actually allowed the actors to really build up their characters like that. So so uh, Michael K. Williams, being a fan of this movie, makes perfect sense uh, that he'd yeah. actually bring that to the show. Um, uh, I, I wouldn't credit David Simon for that, unfortunately. I would have to give it to Michael K. Williams. Yeah, well, I, you know, I, I think that... Let the record uh, show. Yeah, I, I think that that is a, a, an apt comparison. I, I think the difference, though, um, with like a character like Omar is that you kind of understand that there is a, a, a narrative logic behind him, right? Like, he feels wronged by certain people. He's robbing drug dealers. Like, there's kind of a... a um, like a, almost like a Robin Hood story, you know. What and I mean? he doesn't care who he who knows it either. Yeah, yeah. man's but man's got to have a code. I, I think yeah. I think this version of uh, like a big bad wolf kind of character, right? Where make you rewatch no, the wire, goddamn it. There is no narrative. Like, there's no logic. There's no narrative logic to why he's doing this. He's he's relentlessly right. pursuing pursuing people for their money, but he's also like a like living in a vagrant like a vagrant lifestyle. Like he's not going to do anything with that money besides you know steal it and and spend it over time, right? Like, wait, he's not no, going to build a tabernacle. <laughs> like he has no code there's there's no code to his actions um whatsoever and i think that that kind of makes it more terrifying because you don't know what he's going to do ne next or you don't know there's no you can't justify any of his uh his actions you know he's not taking down people that are like um that are evil themselves or anything he's literally just relentlessly hunting these kids he, he's doing it for him and his and, and and his very personal relationship with god which is so great when um uh johnny when, when the kid's dad asked like asked him, like what is your faith exactly right and his answer is like so fantastic which is basically like shut up you know that's basically that's basically his answer right like he is like he's he's got it so it, like it makes sense in his mind allows him to do whatever whatever he wants to do and reconcile the way they wants to reconcile um i i believe so that he's alex jones <laughs> yeah i, I believe mean, that the horse have to die by any uh by any stretch of the you know <laughs> yeah like i can't remember the, the exact quote but it, it's so just like if, if you've ever Okay, so let's let's keep it relevant, right? Like, you know, we we were talking a bit, I don't remember if it was in the after party or what, about the whole thing of everyone calling uh, you know, the the upcoming overturning versus Wade as a victory for the pro-life front. I'm like, you know, if they were really pro-life, they'd be uh, you know, they'd be picketing funerals. Like they're not pro-life. They if you believe in execution, you're not pro-life, you're anti-choice. And it's a matter of framing, right? Yeah. So it's a matter uh, of needing, they need them needing control. But when you exactly and, and the, the idea is it's nothing to do with like the preservation of life, because what they believe is once you're born, F you, you're like, who cares about you? But if you ever actually talk to someone who's an anti-choice, usually, uh, you know, person of uh, faith, the Robert uh, Mitchum, of the, the Robert <laughs> Mitchum type. Yeah, exactly. They will have this twisted logic. 
that, that it manifests in almost the same way where if you point out like logical inaccuracies, then they fall back on, well, it's faith. Yeah. Well, it's, funny it's whatever much, I want to believe. You know, it's funny how much God wants all the same things you want. Right. Exactly. I mean, oh, it works out great. He wants all the same things I want. Oh, yes. it's awesome. It's a great, it's a great That's why Jesus and I have such a great relationship. <laughs> oh, yeah. Me and God are besties. <laughs> but yeah, he, I the, mean, the line he says is, uh, he says the, the one the Lord, uh, the one the Lord worked out betwixt us, which is, I think, a funny, right? Exactly, the twix. Betwixt. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's, <laughs> betwixt that's should be the word you're overusing. <laughs> betwixt. <laughs> well, betwixt the three of us, I uh, like the, I like the, the left twix best. <laughs> but, but I mean, but that's one of the reasons why you know being like a framed language thing. That's why I wrote that article like you know a million years ago in, in Huffington Post about it. Like you know, you're you're they're not pro life, they're anti choice, right? And, and, but the thing is, like the idea of like framed language didn't even exist, <laughs> didn't even exist uh, back then. It was just sort of like, oh, that's faith, and that was just considered like a person's faith is like could be as public or private as they want to. If you said my faith is private, then people would be like, okay, that's fine. Unless, of course, you were, you know, a Catholic, in which case you were suspect. <laughs> because the idea of there being anything other than the two was, like, pretty, like... I'm yeah, a recovering Catholic, and I'm still full of guilt. And I yeah. haven't been practicing since I was 16. I mean, that was a thing when JFK was running. I'm taking this way off track here. This is more after-party stuff. But when JFK was running for office, like, oh, well, he's going to be beholden to the Pope. Yeah, no, there that was, was a real thing. There's literally a thing where people believe that there was a conspiracy that uh, JFK was the was a proxy for the Pope that they were yeah bring into power. Um, like people actually believe that you know he which takes is the like, orders from the Vatican is the is the statement. Yeah. Of the now they rather prefer that. Now they're like, great. <laughs> I don't know if they. I don't know. Do they really agree with the current Pope though? Yeah, this <laughs> he is, seems uh, a little progressive. Is, he's taking he's taking his orders from the last Pope. <laughs> yeah, exactly, the dead one. Um, no, he's still alive. No, he's still alive. Nazi Pope. Nazi, Nazi Pope still alive. Ironically, yeah. the one from Argentina is the more liberal of the two. How about the zombie uh, Pope? Is the it. zombie Pope going to give out orders anytime soon? I do think Nazi Pope would be a great South Park character. Yeah. <laughs> but no, so there, there is this judgmental thing, though, right? Like he gets arrested in the beginning, uh, Harry Powell, and he's he's stolen the car from you know the widow that he must have killed that they find in the beginning, um, and. You know, he gets arrested watching a, a woman, uh, you know, in the, in the, do a, a dirty, I guess, kind of striptease style dance. I mean, you don't see which, that which, part of it. That reaction, like, like the, like the, the, um, <laughs> the, the scene and reaction is so amazing. And I remember it being one of the first things, like, okay, this movie, all right, like, <laughs> but like now even more so because like I kind of want that as a gift, and like I want that to be my reaction towards many things. Where you just you know you see you can't see like, kill them all, Lord. <laughs> yeah, you you see like you know salacious dancing and just like a total no sell, like you know like non plus Robert Mitchum face, and then you know like that's that's great. That that that's so great for like this contemporary environment. We have stuff waved in front of your face all the time that you're meant to be uh, excited about, and you're just not. But hey, and then in the remake, she'll probably take all her clothes off. Exactly. So there you go. <laughs> you got that. It's gonna be H on HBO. Is that what you're saying? No, it's being well. That too, <laughs> yeah. It be released on HBO Max the same day as the theater. Okay. Yeah. Um. So be yeah. looking for that. By the way, new gif alert. That is an excellent gif. <laughs> I need that gif. That, that I need that gif in my life too. Oh, what that's else? That, that, like that, how they that's how I feel the, uh, most days. By the way, I, I like how they got around <laughs> the gore of the scene because because they show it to you, um, but you don't quite see the neck. And then, uh, yeah. you know, Uncle um, Scratchy or whatever his name was, 
<laughs> the devil? Uncle Scratchy. Yeah, good old Uncle Scratchy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I forgot to say it, but, you know, he's just like. Uncle Bertie. Um, Uncle Bertie, yes. Uncle Bertie. Uncle, just, Uncle Bernie. <laughs> Uncle Bernie. Uncle Bernie was like, well, they, 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 you know, describing her neck being slit. Um, you know, and, and it kind of like filled in the blanks of the picture. Because even though we saw that. Um, but you, it's you know, crazy because you kind of see her sort of close her eyes after, like, you see him like raising the knife and she kind of closes her eyes, like, oh, she's ex accepting it. Yeah, she's yeah, accepting, I'm accepting it. this as, like, because again, she's got she's got the faith. She's, she knows that she's going to be in a better place momentarily, right? So, um, yep, anyway, the water, but yeah, and, and like I said, just just how much, uh, like <laughs> yeah, the movie is a, a little, more, go uh, is a lot yeah. more gorier in your head because of the it's uh, implied, the, it's a, yes. yeah, exactly. It's, it's all. He said, you should have seen her down there in the deep place with her hair waving back and forth like meadow grass and that slit in her throat like she had an extra mouth. Uh, yeah. And then he goes, if we go, if I go to the law, they'll hang it on me. But that, that image of like, it's I, I, honestly one of the most disgusting things I've ever thought of in my life. The, the yeah. slit in her throat being an extra mouth. Like, yeah. do you think that uh, that maybe theater of the mind is kind of lost on people now? Yes. Kinda. I think I think people are, are used to being spoon fed everything like like little whining screaming babies. Uh, and I and then I go and put out a script full of a, a book full of scripts for people to use their imagination while reading. Yeah, okay. I'm bright. I'm bright. Okay. But you go well, back to 1955 and uh, go sit at someone. <laughs> look at um something like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. We were talking about it a few like a few months ago, and uh, you know in that you don't actually ever see like you don't actually ever see the the chainsaw within like anybody you know what i mean the first you don't see the hook that. going into pam you don't yeah. see the only real blood yeah. you ever see is uh dried blood on sally's face there's no that gore. Movie is terrifying it's, that movie yeah. is utterly fucking terrifying and i saw it when i was seven but i'm okay so but but it was able to get a pg rating because it, it, you know they, they don't actually show any of the like toby hooper no. wanted a g he yeah. wanted a g rating for it <laughs> so but, like but dr pepper and cigars like I, I don't think that when when things are gruesome that they're more terrifying. I think that a lot of times implying something is yeah. a lot more terrifying. And, and again, uh, I, agree. I do love good gore too because I, I quite enjoyed watching the eyeballs explode on the movie I watched last night, um, uh, Sea Fever. I, but, I'm not um, saying that gore is always. I'm just saying that. Yeah, like, yeah, no, no, no. But it's that. used right. It's great. And yeah, like the head crushing right. scene in Toxic Avenger. I mean, it wouldn't be yeah. you know that's yeah. No, and yeah. apparently the remake is going to be like a gore fest. So, but David Yao is going to be. I, it, I, so. I said the uh, the implication thing. The first thing I thought of was Dennis Reynolds and Zoe Sunny. Where he's like, she wouldn't dare because of the implication. But, but like you know, um, I think like Split Second, which is a, a very forgettable movie for the most part, is great because you don't. Except see for on this show, where we're bringing it up and said Night of the Hunter. Yep. Well, yeah, no, no, but I'm just using that as an example. You're not seeing the creature like like in Jaws before it. Um, yeah. you know, you know, it's, it's a yeah, movie right, right. that, that, that uh, was able to use that as a strength alien kind of did the and same it, thing. And, and, uh, and I think that's with this movie, the gore is kind of, uh, you know, uh, talked about, but not shown in a way yeah. that, that really does add the, the, to, to the, uh, to, to the experience. And we're going to talk about creatures. Let's talk about the Meg. That's, that's my, that's my I, little I brother's favorite movie. <laughs> that's my little, my, my little brother and I went and saw it in the theater and, uh, we, here we go. Oi, Mike. <laughs> um, but uh, no. But I think I, that's I, one of the reasons why it works because yeah. this is this is a suspenseful movie. It's about the suspense. It isn't about the results. You see the after effects, and you see the the, the like the the absolute anxiety. 
that you have for these poor children stuck in this horrible, like, you know, near biblical parable like situation where they're just trying to like get away. They don't have a plan. They're just going down the river on a goddamn boat, like passing by things. And they, they managed to luck into an okay situation, but like you need to show that type of, of the emotion. Whereas, I mean, it's 1955. And like, we've talked about this on, on psycho when we talked about for uh, murder next drive against it too. It's, it's what you don't show as yeah. well. And that's one of the reasons why I find, and I, I realized that I'm sort of out of the zeitgeist this way. I hate all those saw movies. I, I think they're stupid. I think they're yeah. boring. I think they're pointless and I think they're bad for society. And it's just, it's vulgarity for vulgarity's sake. And it's not, if you're going to do that, at least be clever, at what? least be clever. You know, like, I mean, like, okay, Malignant, I like the better one, it's called Basket Case, but it's pretty good, you know, like, <laughs> like, exactly. it's not like, I don't know the genre, of course I know the genre, I'm just saying that, like, does everything need to be, like, laid out for you like a buffet? I don't think so. I, I mean, for me, no. Like, I'm not interested in that. So most the, of the horror movies I really like have sort of transcended the genre in recent years, or the ones I yeah. really liked. Well, so the, the Hereditary movie, I think, does I like really Hereditary well. was amazing. Yeah, Hereditary is a really good. Hereditary was fucking terrifying too. Um, Legitimately, yeah. Yes. The way the girl did the the, the way that girl uh, did the. Ah. I, I did want to actually kind of jump off of one of Conan's points though with, with the ending. I was I was I liked, trying I was trying to jump off get, one of Conan's points. Well, Every way to get to jump off. Point. Yeah, points. but 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 uh, I'm actually talking about the movie Night of the Hunter. I know I'm trying to. Yeah. I, so my, my, the thing that I want <laughs> I to also have a point about Night of the Hunter. Introduce you heard of this Paul? Night of the Hunter. That I wanted to introduce to this conversation is that. I think that uh, that Robert Mitchum plays this animal. I think there's an animalism to that role, right? Like a beast. Look at that uh, scream he utters. Yeah, yeah when, it was when like she uh, shoots at him. Fog, uh, Foghorn Leghorn would shoot the same shout, and uh, you know, whenever he gets shot, and uh, I say, I say, where's that money, boy? <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I say, uh, I'll break your arm if you don't tell me what that, mo what the, what so, that money. is. The thing that the thing that that keeps like keeps popping up in my head as you watch Night of the Hunter is. When Hitchcock talked about the bomb principle, you guys remember this where you can, oh, yeah, okay, okay. Yeah. Where like you can have two people sitting down and they're talking about baseball or whatever. And then everything, there's a big explosion and the, the audience is like, ah, real for like 30 seconds. Whereas if you show this, do the same scene and you show the audience, the bomb under the table before it explodes for however long it is, they're going to have all of that angst or that anxiousness and they're going to anxiety and they're going to be like you need to get out of there kind of thing and then the explosion is almost the release and That's so battle of algiers uh when when, when they're yes. just hanging out and there's a bomb and you know that there's like three bombs in different places um but but what i was actually going to say like uh, the batman was, was the nice thing about uh this movie was how the uh the ending of the film uh, Lillian Gish's character is almost like the inverse of um, uh, of uh, Robert Mitchum's character. Yes, yeah. where, where she comes yeah. across like this evil, stern Bible person, but then you find out that she's actually kind of the best person in the film. She's uh, very yeah. open-hearted. She's very caring. She's very yes, giving. Way better than, she's, uh, stri she's strict, but she's not evil. harsh but fair. Yes, yes. 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 <laughs> well, she's she's strict in the way that like a, a mother is, right? Like a severe mother that wants the best for their kids. Like she's not strict in the way. That uh, you know, like she gives the the kids love. She gives them gifts. She really does a lot for the kids. Yeah. That, and then, then when uh, Slutty McSlarson was uh, like, "I wasn't doing swimming. I was hanging out with men," and she's just like, um, "You know, it's okay." You know, she 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 actually like like you know she didn't lecture her. She didn't treat her. Also, she goes. Uh, she goes. And you're you're trying to find me. love in your own way. Yeah. She yeah. goes. She also goes. Uh, you're gonna hit me, and she goes. When have I ever? 
And I think you're supposed to see in that moment too, that there's a, there's a tenderness that like, maybe she is severe in her words, but not physically hostile to these kids. But even though she's a, she's kind of a, a smaller woman, she's got like this commanding presence about her that is a very intimidating. I believe that's know, what we that's... call German expressionism. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, just, just, just seeing her stand off against uh, Robert Mitchum at the end was just the best because you have just two just giants, even, even, you know, she's tiny, but, but uh, these two giants just like battle of wills at the end. So, well, you also have the singing, you have a singing battle of wills where they're yes. both, uh, they're both singing uh, lean and, and, too. Lean and, and it's, yeah. it's such a strange, surreal moment, but like, you're kind of comforted, I think, by the fact that she's sitting on that porch and like she can't help but to sing with the her song. Gun. Just, uh, yeah. yeah, and and you finally realize, like, you realize that this is someone that can actually butt heads and win um, against you know Robert Mitchum's uh, constant just barrage of evil as Harry Potter. And they're both getting they're both getting something out of it too. And and also it it, it occurs to me that like maybe Stephen King had that in mind when uh, he wrote The Stand, which well. I just watched the remake of, and I did not hate it. It was okay. It was okay. I thought Peter Skarsgård, or, or I'm Peter's sorry, Alexander Skarsgård was amazing as Randall yeah. Flagg. He was Agreed. fantastic. I, and I thought, I thought that, so what I, uh, this should be after party stuff, but you can't be on the after party. So I, what I, what I didn't care for about that was that uh, I didn't like the tone in flashback. I thought that was, I thought that removed all the tension of being like, are they going to be able to get to this you know place of safety? I thought that that yeah. removed it entirely and, and kind of made that dull. Uh, but there's and, a lot and of there was no job like. and there's no Joe Bob Briggs in this one. So that kind of, <laughs> yeah, also because he's, if you watch, go back and watch the movie, he's the reason that it left this, the, the small town in Texas because he was near somebody. And then he drove off as the military's coming in and he's like, <laughs> it's like, uh Oh, they're going to kill Joe Bob. How am I supposed to watch monster vision? I mean, um, uh, last drive-in. <laughs> Well, but but like like think about you know you've got the man in black and then you've got like you know the the old woman on the on the porch, right? And and like you know there's there's got the like these have become iconic in our culture uh, to yeah. a certain degree, and, and you know they've become tropes of sorts. But like at the time it was just like hey we got Lillian Gish let's give her some something cool to do, right? And like she's a she's a great character. Even she even like breaks the fourth wall near the end, which is kind of crazy. Where it's like, hey, did you not get the moral of this? Let me explain it to you, audience. <laughs> like by the way, by the way, her line where she says, uh, you know, children abide or whatever, yeah. um, that was picked up by the you know, by the Cohen brothers during the Big Lebowski, the dude abides yes, like that. The they took abides. that line directly Absolutely. from this movie. And for the and for the record, I like Rachel Cooper much better than uh, uh, Mother Abigail or whatever her name was in uh, The Stand. <laughs> yes, yes. I forget. Yes. I, I agreed. But I'm thinking about it in terms of, uh, you know, the, 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 the light versus the dark, the diametric opposites. Uh, so on. And so right. Forth. Right. Good versus evil. Yes. I, I think I think another Christina, you awake down there. You good? How's yeah, the Internet? Right. I, I think another thing that makes this movie she's doing a really good Louie and Gish cosplay right now, not saying anything. I think that it's kind of uh fascinating that a lot of the evil when it comes to children, right? Like a lot of the evil can be implied. Like uh, yeah. you know, obviously like sexual abuse against children is 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 a horrifying thing. And save so, the children. So for for uh, you know Harry's character to kind of be talking about secrets and to kind of be like incredibly physically dominating to these kids and there's that really uh, whatever he does to Pearl's like you, you don't find out what he does to Pearl but I mean I assume he does something to her arm um, 
tries to like rip off her arm or something, but she screams. You don't see that happen, but the you see it from the uh, mother's perspective outside, yeah. and uh, most most uh, most mellow zanned out mother of all time because she kind of hears her kid scream and doesn't do anything about it, and it's just like, hey, do you do know where the money is? Don't you? Yeah, but <laughs> but like you know, it's it's kind of like. Uh, a lot of the the evil and a lot of the, the the violence doesn't need to actually be shown on screen also because I think it's children. And this is someone who's incredibly manipulative and abusive and hostile. And like, you know, you, you don't actually have to see it on screen. I think it would actually ruin it probably if you saw some of that on screen. Um, it, it becomes so it, much it would, more yeah. ominous. I, I, don't, it I think it still mind. I think it still works. But I think if you let the viewer fill in what they think happened, it's like all the better. Yeah, and especially because there weren't a lot of movies that did that back then. You know, yeah, I mean, it's a bit like up. what Scott McCloud was talking about in Understanding Comics, where like you know, interesting stuff happens between panels. I still and, need and, to read that. Uh, yeah, it's, it's it's a marvelous book, but it you know the the, the concept uh, with with comics is specifically like you know you tell a story and you use what you know the imagination between panels to to tell part of your story and, and be able to lead people through that. And I think this movie, in a way, does something similar. And I I don't know. Um, uh, you know, I didn't go to film school. I just, you know, I'm a comic book guy. So, you know, so I'm, I'm citing. Uh, I learned my film knowledge from the streets. <laughs> um, Omar's um, coming. But, but I'm sure, I'm I didn't go to like, film school and I've made a bunch of movies. So, I mean, yeah, that, no, but, so but what I'm does sure that there's say? actually like a name for this in film is what I'm trying to say. You know, whereas uh, I'm pulling it from from another source. You know, his the, ass. The, the, He's pulling it from his ass. Yes. Hey, Christina, <laughs> what do you what do you think about any of what there is said? a term for that? I don't know what it is, Andy, but I know what it's talking about. Yeah. Christina, what do you think about any of the stuff we've just said? <laughs> uh, letterbox one liners anytime soon. <laughs> 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 no, literally, like when so when I did my panel last night, they uh this uh one person from like Progressive Brat Stream was like uh was in my chat today and they were like Wait, there's a leftist movie podcast out there that does letterbox one-liners. <gasps> I was like, okay. that, we gotta we gotta lead with that as the main selling point. We're yeah, the letterbox right. one-liner guys. Yeah. Letterbox one-liner extravaganza. Exactly, <laughs> it's a popular site. That's and how they, I that's how I write my letterbox reviews now. They love the movies that we have picked this month. They're like, oh my god, Tokyo Drifter! Like, like they were, they were excited. They're really excited to like watch this stuff. They're like, oh my god, Under the Silver Lake too. Wait, you did the Third Man? Oh my goodness, you're doing that of the Hunter? I'm like, yeah. They're like, damn, this is gonna be a great podcast. The, I still haven't the... seen the Third Man. I know every time I try and find a copy, it's out of print and it's um, just it's on archive.org. It's on what? Archive.org has it. Oh, really? Um, okay, okay, okay. It's also on Criterion Collection. That's right. <laughs> that one's out of print. Yeah, but well, the uh, no, the, I'm saying the, the, their their streaming service. The the channel. Oh, from, okay. The one from Archive actually is from Criterion. <laughs> it's a, it's a riff from that. Right. <laughs> Whoops. Well, so, do you want to do the the Letterboxd uh, one liners? Of course, I would love to. So, Letterboxd, of course, is a place for film. It's an open source democracy. Everybody gets to have their say. Not just the Siskels and the Eberts. Uh, Everybody gets to talk about the films they love, the films that they didn't love, the films they were baffled by, the films they were weirdly thirsty for, the principal players and or character actors for. All of this is, of course, best expressed in the classic work in your tight five one-liner format uh, where we can utilize this and put them in a top 10 style list from many uh, late night talk show shows of yore. And uh, these are letterbox one-liners for The Night of the Hunter. I didn't know black and white could look this beautiful. Religious manipulation never looked so good. 
<laughs> By the way, what do you think of the background I chose? <laughs> that's a, that's a <laughs> solid background. I'm for it. It's good. Second best movie villain after The Troll and Ernest Scared Stupid. I love Ernest. <laughs> that was the first movie I ever saw by myself in the theater. I need to have a conversation with Scott here to find out if, if that's an insult or a compliment. <laughs> Four stars. Why not both? Yep. Ruby is one of those insane true crime bitches. Hell yeah. Yeah. Yo, but she, she, she just looking for love out there. She, she, you know, she has her own podcast now. She would definitely have her own podcast. Yeah. And it's on Earwolf. Earwolf. I, I like uh I like the line that she says uh she can't she can't uh harvest eggs without breaking them or something. That's yeah. the her, her Ruby diss track. <laughs> diss track. <laughs> Robert Mitchum, lean in. Me will mark me down as scared and horny. <laughs> I don't, Mitchell would, I don't think Robert Mitchum would. I don't think. I don't think that character would approve of of that review. Nope. No. Women's Robert bodies Mitchell. are for are for breeding babies, and that's it. Exactly. <laughs> Flawless breeding. <movie>. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Flawless movie, but Kevin McAllister will wipe the floor with this guy. <laughs> oh my god! And they kind of get into that though when when they're downstairs in the basement and they pull down. It, it kind of started getting those kind of like almost Home Alone vibes. Like it's almost cartoonish in a way, you know. Like, yeah. There's a reason this was Radio Raheem's favorite film. <laughs> <laughs> R.I.P. to a legend, by the way, Radio Absolutely. Raheem. Absolutely, Radio Raheem. We speak your name. Imagine making one movie, and it's the best movie. Mm-hmm. You know, I wish, it's like I wish, uh, he had, I wish he had been alive to hear that though. Like, you know, I yeah. like, I know. yeah, uh, you know, but it's a bit like uh, uh, um, the woman who wrote uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, you know, she only wrote one book and Properly. then she lived to be a thousand years old. So, which is and then they, is... they claim that they found a second version where, well, yeah, yeah, that, that was like, was racist as fuck. Yeah. If a man asks if you want to hear the story of right hand, left hand, you run. <laughs> run it was with this hand that Brother Kane laid his way. He, I, I need to, I need, I'm not good at saying it, but he's like, it was with this hand uh, that laid the blow that with Brother Kane. Let, uh, he says it, and I can't do it. I can't, I can't say it the way he says it. Oh, it's majestic. Yeah. That's why you were not cast in the role. Yeah, I would. I would and you probably weren't alive. <laughs> well, that's another reason why it wasn't cast in the role. <laughs> Lillian gets with a shotgun. Need I say more? Amen. Yeah. I love when like the deal with the guy. Yeah, absolutely. I love when the deal with the guy is that he's the devil. <laughs> Hard agree. Yeah. Those are the letterbox one liners. If you think about it, like, you know, Lucifer was a fallen angel. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, of course, Letterboxd, uh, you can uh, follow the show, which is Forrest over there, Moving Extravaganza. Uh, you can follow me, Kona Neutron. I am on Letterboxd as well. Right Twix Dick Veins is what you're... That's not... <laughs> you just saw that, huh? I, I wasn't... <laughs> clearly, I wasn't looking on that side of the screen. Uh, J. Andrew World over there, watching all the exploding eyeball pictures, apparently, um, and uh, all the esoteric fare. Uh, um, Christina needs to be on it more, but uh, you can follow Christina as well. And, of course, Uncle Ron uh, doing his best letterbox one-liners for all the stuff in the uh, in the ephemera. 
Yes. As well. I just realized what I can start doing. I've been going through all Johnny Depp's filmography, so I could do Letterboxd one-liners of every film. I've, I've literally watched like almost every film of his right now. They'll probably anyway. be popping. They'll probably be great, uh, you know, greatly yeah. reviewed reviews. I love that you can review other people's reviews. Much, exactly. Right? I, I love that as well. That, that, I think my favorite... I think my favorite one-line review is for the unbearable weight of massive talent. Is it just any, in general any, or the one you did? The one I did. Anytime Pedro Pascal can be on the big screen is a win for everyone. That's true. Daddy. That's true. That is that is uh, very wholesome. The uh, I, I will say also that uh, I when I do the Letterboxd one-liners, I tend to eschew the very, very popular ones unless they're very good. I usually – I actually comb through all of the one-likes – no likes <laughs> because some of those are gold and they're just like people that don't they know anybody are popular. They, they do their, their day in court. I'm the Atticus Finch of Letterbox One Liners, friends. That's By the way, I need to I need to redeem myself. Uh <laughs> would you like me to tell you the story of right hand, left hand, the story of good and evil? H A T E. It was with this hand that Brother Kane struck the blow that laid his brother low. You know. Right. So he's a rapper. <laughs> anyway th that's that bit letterbox one-liners j andrew world over there take it away all right if you're watching us right now on twitch uh and you can please subscribe that that uh, helps us out if you happen to be a amazon prime customer you can subscribe for free and you know boom we, we, we get it we get it we, we greatly thank you for that um get money <laughs> yes if you're over on the youtubes um have them tied because <laughs> <laughs> you watch the news, you know what's going on. Yes. <laughs> wow, that got Hi, Frank. <laughs> All right. No, but if you're watching this over on YouTube, um, you know, please like, subscribe, um, leave a comment, uh, comments help. And one thing actually does really help a lot is if you can watch this video to the end, you got a great song by Conan Neutron you can watch. Um, so, so, you know, you, you have reason to, to, to do that. Yes, watch um, the music with your with your eyes. Uh, there's a great video put together by Forrest, so you know, you, you're, it's yeah, a win win. The video's all right too, but the music, really. Thank you. <laughs> Tell me more of the music. Yeah, <laughs> you know, Conan slays it on the flute. Um, there, 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 there is some flute. <laughs> Anyways, um, uh, if you uh, uh, are uh, don't want to watch us, you just want to listen to us. And why wouldn't you? As a uh, audio <laughs> podcast. Uh, which is terrible because then you'll totally miss Christina's reviews with her eyes uh, in this episode. But and her cat, as well as Christina cuddling with her with her kitty cat too, which yes. is which is also. You you gotta gotta go a making a callback to an earlier yeah, joke. The cat's not the earlier joke. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> Ew, there we you're go. Doing all over me. And uh, <laughs> my favorite dinosaur junior album. Not the. Oh my god. <laughs> also, if you, I was uh, gonna say, I hear you. It's not the first time I've heard that. <laughs> If you uh, happen to be uh, really wanting to help us out, we do have a Patreon. Patreon will get you things like you can party all the time with the after parties uh, and not just Woo -woo. once, like what's going to happen. Patrons uh, like to know. party all the time, party all the time. The party never ends on old Patreon. Yeah. Uh, but we also plan on expanding it for uh, more things coming soon. So, you know, watch this space. Um, and one last thing. Um, we are involved with the Big Bear Film Festival. Um, yes. we, we don't have much to announce uh, as to what the involvement is. But, but we uh, still talk about it all the time. Yes. No, we're just, you know, <laughs> hyping it up. Watch the space here. We'll, 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 as soon as we know, we can let you know. <laughs> and 
with that, we will, you know, lay the blow that Brother Kane laid his brother low. Very I'm getting, I'm getting better at it. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It'll be now. great, but for I will add it in a month. <laughs> exactly. When movie noir extravaganza is over, mid June, middle of an episode. Hey guys, you want you want to hear the story of right hand, left hand? Yeah, yeah. It'll, You're like, what does like, this have to do with this movie? And we're, we're like covering like, love actually or something, right? And he's like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, we should do that. I like that movie. Left actually is the is the you oh, know left you actually is that another rapture movie? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, um, you know, starting with uh, starting with old Uncle Ron over here. Um, you know, I hope you don't get uh, you know too drunk in the steamboat tonight and uh, miss out on all the all the action going on with your niece and nephew. But um, I want to hear some final thoughts. I want to hear what you have to say. Uh, you know, call in, let us know. Um, <laughs> um, I, I Conan, you said that this was in your top thirty or top twenty. Of all time, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I threw arbitrarily threw a number out because I wasn't really thinking too hard about it. But yeah, it's definitely one of my favorites. It's, it's, it, it, it makes the upper lower half of my top ten. Um, and it's, it follows things like the original Dawn of the Dead and True Romance, which is yeah. kind of weird, but you know everybody's got their thing. Um, but this is an absolute masterpiece i don't think there's anything wrong with it at all i think it might be one of the few perfect movies um uh, yeah i <laughs> when i remember when i was talking to conan about coming on and i said well are you guys doing the thin man and and he th i think you thought i said third man and yeah. and then you mentioned Night of the Hunter. I'm like, no, 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 no. I want to do that one. <laughs> right. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, I almost like. I think I almost tackled him. Be like, no, I'm doing Night of the Hunter. It's, like, it's one of those rare movies that's able to harness uh, like star talent while also kind of feeling like it's just kind of people that um, really like worked hard to put together a movie. You know what I mean? Like you kind of feel that yeah. like almost independent feeling to it. So I don't I don't know about another movie that's able to capture both those things. Like it's it's see, the kind of horror movie that I like, and I don't even know if I'd call it a horror movie. What do you call it? Fairy tale noir? <laughs> Maybe it does have fairy tale vibes. Big fairy tale energy. That's uh no, that's what that's what Eddie Muller, the guy that uh you know that we like go to for a lot of things that wrote that book that I was oh that's right about. yeah, uh, yeah. Turner Classic Movies guy. He said uh it, it was like he did the noir or not thing, and he's like, well, yeah, I, would say I, th I thought it said hot or not. Yeah, I yeah. That. <laughs> hot or hot. not is a movie podcast that I would fucking watch. It's 30 second episodes, and they just like this movie, hot or not. movie is hot or not. There you go. <laughs> Swipe left on Night of the Hunter. <laughs> um, but yeah, is that is that uh anything else you need to say or want to say? Or? Uh, it's one of those things that as a creative person, I aspire to do, but no, I'll never ever do as good as if that makes sense. Just make sense of my words. <laughs> But I mean, you know, do what I say and pay attention to me. Charles Lawton's kind of unappreciated in this time, right? Like his 100%. acting is is appreciated, but his you know the, his, right. his one directorial credit, um, really he felt like it wasn't. But um, hey, is it, is it was it him or was it Stanley Cortez? <laughs> he's just getting nagged. Clips. Yeah, exactly. He's just getting nagged by Stanley Cortez on the phone every day. He's like, "You didn't come up with this movie. I did. Remember that." Another thing, I invented the camera. <laughs> and then yeah, Greg Toland, who's he? 
Nobody, told nobody, nobody ever, manner. No one ever, ever, uh, <laughs> you know, talked about the Iris until I did. I'm, I, I'm Iris uh, Stanley over here. And D.W. Griffith came to me. I'm speaking in a jocular tone, but I'm 100% serious about this. Yeah. <laughs> I said to D.W. Griffith, knock off the racism and get another camera, and you should be amazing. <laughs> and everything will work out just great. <laughs> I do think it's, it's, it's you know, she, you know, uh, Lillian Gish was in Birth of a Nation. Yeah. Yeah, so that's kind of. Oh, oh yes, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. Well. but uh, I think I think a big thing is that um, uh, D. W. Griffith inspired Charles Lawton. Like he watched all of those movies uh, before kind of coming up with this, and of course, also like German expressionism did. But um, it gives you that nice Brothers Grimm uh, feeling to this movie. I think those Germans they sure love fairy tales. Um, and murder, and murder, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Christina, you got some final thoughts? Uh, it is a shame that Charles Lawton did not live to see how appreciated this film ended up becoming towards like the world and in history. I mean, Library of Congress approval, when you get the Library of Congress stamp approval, yeah. there's it's there's significance right there. Um, you can see the inspiration from German expressionism and, and even silent film, especially with Lillian Gish being casted. Uh, Robert Mitchum uh, is the perfect actor for this role. Uh, it's not the last time he would play such a character. We all know that. That's kind of like his uh, his his like calling card is to play these very like seedy, shady, yet somewhat creepily charming type of characters. Um, I'm glad that we actually went over this film. And uh, yeah, right hand, left hand. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Conan, let's hear it. You picked this film. This is your, uh, Absolutely. your, your, your big, your big, uh, you know, overwhelming. It's your big break history. in TV. Welcome to prime time, <laughs> bitch. Uh, everything else was just the lead up to it, huh? Well, I mean, yeah, for good reason, right? Like, so this is, uh, the idea is to do noir movies and, and do the, the different flavors of noir and, uh, walk through it ultimately sequentially and figure out what, tropes were established when they were established you know what things created those tropes what things sort of eschewed them entirely i mean noir notwithstanding harry powell is one of the best villains on screen of all time and should be on any like top 20 top 10 list whatever of best villains of all time a hundred percent and yeah. uh but the movie itself does such a great job of expressing the extreme helplessness and anxiety of children in trouble in a way that most movies don't pull off. And it's that alone is makes it incredibly worthwhile. Uh, the visuals are astounding. Uh, obviously uh, GDT paid attention, you know, uh, Fassbender, uh, Altman, like so many directors like paid attention to, to what this in incredible film has done and tried to do their own reason. Lynch, you know, David Lynch, like huge, huge fan of this. Um, when I promo this episode, I got a comment from Phil Calvert from the birthday party saying that Tracy Pugh and Nick Cave were huge fans of this movie, which makes a lot of sense, right? Uh, like, because if you look at like, like, especially like Nick Cave's body of work, you know, so much of it is embodied with this sort of like, you know, deep abiding, like faith and amorality and uh, uh, light and dark, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, influential is putting it uh, mildly. And it's a shame that this was both a critical and a commercial failure because, uh, as Christina mentioned, it, this this 
you know, it's too bad that Charles Lawton didn't, didn't get to see it sort of find his audience and like be revered the way it is. Cause this is a movie that is worth revering uh, for multiple reasons. And it doesn't, doesn't mean it's necessarily a perfect movie, but it's certainly one of my favorite movies. And I, and I'm uh, super glad that I extended my social capital to make this the, my 100% have to do choice because I think it's choice. My Sophie's choice of of, of moving to our extravaganza to to fit it very nicely uh, where it is right now, and I'm glad we got a chance to discuss it with Ron, who is going to go convalesce now. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, all good, all all good points. Um, just the the amount of different directors this inspired, um, like just to find out, like Spike Lee was incredibly inspired by it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like yeah. in his filmmaking, really has nothing to do. Well, I mean, I guess kind of the light and dark thing and like do the right thing right like that he's kind of playing off of and that's why he has the love and hate ray or him thing but like just you couldn't think of uh, a director i think a lot of times who's done different things than this movie is attempting to do but at the same time like is still inspired by the filmmaking it's a vibe movie too oh that's the thing and the vibes are mostly bad but it's a totally a vibe movie and, when, <laughs> yeah. and one of the things about a vibe movie is that it allows people to get into a state where their imagination's fired up and and like a state of like creative dreaming to a certain degree which is Bye. probably where you know and i would say too mo better blue certainly achieved you know tried to uh reach the visuals of this movie so yeah anyway, this anyway. vibes ominous i think <laughs> yes 100 um but uh but andy do you have do you have some uh final thoughts <laughs> i do have a few final thoughts for you i know um one thing I, I don't like about older movies is a lot of the monologuing which this movie had in spades at the beginning while i appreciated uh robert mitchum's prayer to god um, I thought that was that was great. I, there, there was, you know, like Peter Graves had a, this big monologue and everybody had like this big monologue to kind of get things going. It was very theatrical. And I'm just, you know, I always feel like when I, I see somebody monologuing like that, it's like, bitch, if I want this, I'll go to a theater. Um, but uh, <laughs> and Charles Lawton, I mean, his big thing was Broadway. And yeah, yeah. So 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 like, you know, I, that that's that is my my kind of one, you know, well, the, the other one is the acting of the, the little girl. It's so hard to find good, you know, children actors. Uh, you know, it's amazing. It's still hard to find good kids these days. They're all <laughs> um, getting aborted. It's amazing that they found one. Uh, let, let alone, uh, oh, wow. You know, so, um, but the thing is, we're like, definitely like, heading to the after party, aren't we? All right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but but like you know, I, I'm I'm not I'm gonna get once she stopped having lines, she was fine. Uh, it just was her her line delivery was driving me nuts. But outside of those two things, apparently, like, like, yeah. Once apparently. once you get uh, get, get past that. This movie is actually fantastic. Um, and even at the end, whenever they start monologuing again, you don't mind it so much because it's Lillian Gish again, you know, just like yeah. the prayer at the beginning, which was kind of monologuing. I think, yeah, it's it's a bit theatrical, but at the same token, it, it really did, uh, you know, kind of push things forward in a certain way. That, you didn't uh, like when the little girl said, my name's Pearl. But she always said everything like she, she was like screaming the lines. Yeah. And, and um, I, I don't my know. My name's Pearl. Yeah. And, my, and, name, and, my name is Pearl. But like there's a certain <laughs> monotone that like little kids have. And, and, and this is only like at that particular age when they, they start, they scream everything. And, yeah. and it's, it's, it's just, yeah. Not everyone can be Margaret O'Brien. Yeah. No, I mean, I just watched, uh, you know, uh, some Drew Barrymore movies uh, whenever she was little, uh, Firestarter and Cat's Eye. And, you know, she was, she was fantastic in those. Well, she comes from the Barrymore family. So that explains a lot. <laughs> and Andy's version of uh, Night of the Hunter is his his hunter character is just hunting down like four year old girls and killing them, being like, "You're so fucking annoying. I am not doing." 
Uh, yes, this, this is the parents of the panel. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, th this is the good uh, question from the comment, Sean. Would the panel say it's a better Great Depression film than The Grapes of Wrath? Ooh. I haven't Very... seen Grapes of Wrath recently, so I cannot comment. Yeah, same. Okay. Huh. Yeah, I mean, I, I, different. I it's different good. vibes. But I do think that this movie kind of uh, hammers home the a lot of the elements of the Great Depression that, um, you know, from from just the the fact that you know like people are so poor they're just kind of abandoning their kids and leaving them behind and like you know people like even even other poor people kind of have to uh, you know almost like adopt these kids and that it's such a desperate situation that like you would because I, I don't know if they really um, showed it well enough in this but like the thing is supposed to be that Peter Graves' character is like a very good man. Like a you know a very like kind person who ends up being yeah. like the only way that I'm going to help my kids out is to take this money. And I don't know. I mean, his performance is kind of dickish, so I don't know if he comes across overly that way. But like that is supposed to be the thing that he's like a kind father and like he's just driven to this by the um and you know that's why you get the comment from the executioner who's like really harrowed by it because it's like this is like a good guy that yeah. you know it wasn't over his head. South South one South one. And in the same way, like you know you have. Like Rachel Cooper and Harry Powell are two sides of like the same coin for like religiosity, right? You have someone that's like being like, you know, self-serving and like blatantly evil uh, in the name of Christianity. And you have someone that's actually like walking the walk and in, in their own way and following their faith in a way that is positive to their community and culture at large. And doing it quietly and not kind of turning it yeah, into not a making a big deal of it. Exactly. Not being performative about it. Precisely. All right. Well, uh, Andy, is that all you wanted to say? With uh... um, uh, other than you know the the Simpsons, where you know the great moments of uh, uh of, yeah, here's my grapes and here's my wrath. But you know, <laughs> all right. Um, <laughs> my my final thoughts on this movie are: you don't get a smidgen of my fudge unless you stay for the after party. <laughs> <laughs>